This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again when you can have a brilliant, hyper-fast, super-simple Wi-Fi system with Eero. And now, the second-generation Eero is tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com, and at checkout, select Overnight Shipping, then enter FOOL. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and we'll be doing something pretty different than our usual on this week's set of shows. We took Monday, Christmas Day off, but we'll be releasing episodes for the rest of the week, each of which is a cut of one long show we taped earlier in the month. Joining me for a recording marathon today is the host of each Industry Focus episode. We have financials host, Michael Douglas. Howdy. Consumer goods host, Vincent Shen. Hey, Christine. Energy and industrials host, Sarah Priestley. Hey, Christine. And tech host, Dylan Lewis. Hey, Christine. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys. I am thrilled to be with you all in the studio today. It's not often that we get to all sit down and look each other in the eye while recording an episode. So this should be a ton of fun. And we'll be presenting a bunch of different award categories to ring out 2017 with the first ever Industry Focus Awards show. So over the next four episodes, you will hear a bunch of different categories and some nominations for each. And to kick us off, 2017 has been a year of unforgettable moments, of course. And there are some people who probably wish we would forget some of them. (laughs) So our first award category is Biggest Public Relations Blunder. Who has a nominee? I I have the winner. I'm going to go out wow. with confidence, okay. Sarah Priestley. <laughs> so you're going to lead. You're not going to wait for like the dramatic buildup and go last. No, in this no, no. I'm, I'm, it's it's I can, that strong. I mean, you just all have to compete with it if I go first. True, gold standard. Um, so, do you want me to go? Yeah, Let's hear it. Okay, so uh, you may or may not remember that in April of this year, uh, David Dow, the passenger on the United Airlines flight, was forcibly removed from the plane after the airline asked four passengers to leave so they could accommodate United stuff that they needed to transport for work. So the incident was pretty horrific. It caused a media firestorm. It brought a lot of attention to the practice of overbooking. But that's not why. <laughs> My The reason I'm promoting this as a PR blunder was CEO Oscar Munoz's re- response to, and I hope that I got his name right, he said initially... Uh, We apologize for the overbooked situation. That's all the statement that was released on the Monday after the event on the Sunday. He followed that up later in the day by releasing a public statement that was a little bit more sensitive. Um, He said, this is an upsetting event to all of us here at United. I apologize for having to reaccommodate these customers. He also said they were investigating the incident and contacting the passenger involved. However, in the evening, a letter that he sent to employees got leaked. uh, And these are the edited highlights. He said, the situation was unfortunately compounded when one of the passengers we politely asked to deplane refused and it became necessary to contact Chicago Aviation Security Officers. Our employees followed established procedures for dealing with a situation like this, and while I deeply regret the situation, I emphatically stand behind all of you. He goes on to say that lessons can be learned, but the letter included a recap of events that described David Dow as disruptive and belligerent, and you can imagine the response to that situation. We had all kinds of people weighing in, including the very Warren Buffett. Uh, who said that the situation was made so much worse by the CEO's response, which the whole thing was just a lesson on how not to do it. So that is my nomination for PR Blunder of 2017. And a strong contender. (laughs) Uh, Who else wants to compete with that? All right. (laughs) I'll hop in the ring here. In early September, Equifax. (laughs) I forgot about it. Yeah. (laughs) 
143 million Americans' personal data potentially stolen in the big Equifax hack. Mine included, by the way. I am one of the people potentially affected. Probably other people in this room, maybe. Um, so when you have a company whose job is to protect your data, lose control of your data, that tends not to engender a lot of confidence. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. But if, dear listeners, like me, you were potentially affected, there's a simple way to find out. It's to go to Equifax.com. And they actually have this big banner still there. It just says, notice Equifax cybersecurity incident. You can click below to enter. You can give them your information, which hopefully they'll keep track of this time. And then they can let you know whether you're potentially affected and then also sign you up for some free um, credit protection services. So that's a good thing to do. Can I add on to why that was such a PR blunder? Sure. So, and, and correct me if I'm getting any part of this wrong, but in their response to this, didn't they set up a website that you could you could submit? It, it was the one that you probably just pitched. Mm -hmm. You could plug in your information to see if you were affected, but by doing that, it also inhibited you from being able to join a class action lawsuit? Well, so, yes. And actually, there have been some, uh, there was some chatter as well because the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, or the CFPB, had put in a rule making it easier to join class action lawsuits as opposed to being forced to take arbitration, and the Senate recently repealed that rule in a 51 to 50 vote. So it's, yeah, it, it was very tone deaf in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, yeah, all around a huge fiasco. I'm going to hop in here and do my own nomination, which definitely didn't make as widespread headlines, but I think you would agree with me that this was kind of egregious. So I want to nominate a biotech company called Allergan. And it requires a little bit of backstory to explain how this works. So in the, the wake of various drug pricing scandals, Allergan CEO Brent Saunders released a statement in which he committed to not raising the price of any given drug by more than 10% in a year. So one might point out that a, say, 9.9% increase is a good bit more than inflation. And so that's you know not really much of a moral high ground. But that's actually not what I want to call him out for. So... I actually think that that was generally a good PR move. Um, consensus opinion was that it's a good thing to do. And here's where the blunder comes in. In order to protect one of their key drugs from having its patent challenged, Allergan struck a deal with a Native American tribe, giving them $13.75 million in exchange for the tribe <laughs> owning the patents to this drug and claiming sovereign immunity in order to dismiss a patent challenge, thus delaying the market entry of a generic to the drug, which, of course, does exactly the opposite of keeping drug prices in line. Wow. That's shady. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen the Arrested Development clip where uh, Buster goes on a tirade of expletives and then Michael pans and he's just like, I don't think anyone's going to top that. <laughs> Vince, I know you still have one. Okay, but that's, so mine's that's light. Mine's light. The United <laughs> is is strong. Is a strong candidate in terms of what I see as a just a gen, like a straight up PR blunder. The Equifax thing, in my opinion, is just a huge shortcoming on the company's part. Mm -hmm. And then the response, yes, PR blunder. And then what you just mentioned, Christine, is that's just so shady. <laughs> but mine is pretty recent, and I. I picked this one because I just thought it was really funny. Uh, so my nominee for biggest PR blender this year is Papa John's because <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they had comments recently from the founder and CEO, John Schnatter, and other chief executives of the company during their Q3 earnings call. And these comments, 
I think inten- uh, originally were intended to shield them from their underperformance in that quarter, but it really just ended up blowing up in their faces completely. So the company announced its third quarter results, and headline numbers weren't too bad. They largely met expectations, but they got dinged because uh, they reduced their guidance for domestic comparable sales and earnings per share. And the stock traded down about 9% following announcement, uh, and you know reduced guidance tends to do that. Nothing too surprising there. But overall, this company has been growing its comps for 20 straight quarters. You know, they have been growing their domestic and international businesses for almost 15 years straight. So doing pretty well overall. Nothing too worried uh, to be too worried about as a long-term investor. But then the leadership has to go and try and blame their underperformance in the quarter on a ridiculous scapegoat, which is the NFL protests and the corresponding ratings declines for football games that have occurred last season and this season. And Schnatter and his team, they say multiple times how Papa John's is the number one most recognized brand partner with the NFL and how these protests and the controversy have led to uh, basically tying the brand to the controversy. And then by making these statements, they really tie the company <laughs> to the controversy because honestly, earnings calls, comments usually don't make it into mainstream news. Well, these absolutely did. You know, Shatter basically says NFL leadership did not nip this problem in the bud. And they mentioned it again and again. This NFL partnership became a headwind rather than a tailwind. And what happened was it started a huge debate with a lot of people criticizing the company for attacking player protests. Their competitors also took the chance to absolutely rake them over the coals, basically, you know, making fun of their slogan, better ingredients, better pizza. People were saying, you know, better pizza, better results. <laughs> and about two weeks after their earnings call, the company ends up apologizing for the comments they made on Twitter saying, uh, you know, we did not intend to be divisive, that they support the player's ability to protest what they see as an injustice, things along those lines. But by calling attention to this, just it completely blew up in their faces. Um, They had some very unsavory groups like neo-Nazi groups, for example, saying, oh, Papa John's, this is our number one pizza. And so they really associated themselves with with groups they did not want to. And they had to come out in their Twitter response with something that counters that. And this was just a disaster. Let's let's not forget though that their Twitter response also included the middle finger emoji to neo Nazis. Yes, exactly. That was the counter <laughs> that I was mentioning. I was tra- I didn't want to, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're a family side. <laughs> you know what's interesting about all of this though is just how short people's memories are. I mean, I'd already forgotten about the Equifax breach, and I'd actually already forgotten about the United event until Christine reminded me. Um, and it shows in the reports too. United Airlines reported thirty nine percent greater profits year over year in the second half. Uh, of the year than they did uh, last year. So it just shows you that despite calls for a boycott and other such things, um, it doesn't really have that much of an effect over the long term. Since I don't have a horse in this race, I'm not submitting anything for the PR category. <laughs> I, I want to add some uh, some commentary on why I think I'm leaning towards Vince and Sarah's as the winners here. Or losers? I don't know what the right way to phrase that is. <laughs> it's, it's not good. They're going to get the award. <laughs> uh, because when I think PR mistakes, with both of them, I mean, that is something where bad things happened and management didn't just own it. You know, part of being leadership and being management is understanding when you have a shortcoming and and when you maybe don't provide the best service and actually provide terrible service or when you provide bad numbers. And, and I think you want to see management uh, coming out and saying, you know what, we messed up and here's why. Uh, you know, with the Equifax one, it's that's a tough one-off event to deal with. Uh, it is exactly what their business is supposed to prevent. So you'd think that they'd be better at it. Um, man, 
Christine, yours is tricky too, but I, I got to go with either <laughs> Vince or Sarah on this one. Well, so one of the reasons I'm leaning toward Vince and Sarah's is because they theirs blew up in a way that Christine's didn't. And fair enough on the Equifax thing. I will take myself out of contention now. Um, but I think Allergan, for better or for worse, either through effective PR or just other news of the day, I don't know, that issue with the tribe just did not blow up in the same way that these other two did. Uh, for what it's worth, I think I'm leaning toward Vince's because ah, it was just boneheaded, just top to bottom. It was just not great. They took something bad and just made it so much worse. Yeah, the very casual tone of the tweeted response is really what gets me with that one. So I, I agree with Michael. I think that's the icing on the cake. Sorry, Sarah. No, it's true. I mean, I think I think Twitter <laughs> is the fall of a lot. If you look at um, Chipotle's response to some of the um, so some of the foodborne illness issues that they've had, they did a Twitter response, and it just seems so casual. It doesn't seem serious enough for for, for the event. So yeah, I agree. The fu- funny thing is, I appreciate the support. I actually think Sarah's is the worst because <laughs> <laughs> that blew up so bad in United Space, and then it kind of cascaded with all these other stories coming out. Um, where any if they did anything wrong, it became front page news for a lot of online media and other places. But you know, I'll, I'll take the votes. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Eero. Eero is excited to introduce the second-generation Eero and Eero Beacon. Eero home Wi-Fi system started in early 2016. Since then, they've learned from hundreds of thousands of systems, making them smarter, faster, and more reliable. The single, single router model just doesn't work for our increasingly high bandwidth world. It's simple physics. Like light waves, Wi-Fi waves don't go through walls well. The new Eero second generation and Eero Beacon allow a customer to build a Wi-Fi system that's more perfectly tailored to their home than ever before. They offer more speed and range in the same high-quality, elegant design that people have come to expect. With the addition of a third 5 gigahertz radio, the second generation Eero is now tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor, which lets customers do more simultaneously in every room of their home. And with the addition of a new thread radio, Eero can connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, other sensors, and more. Expanding your coverage in any room is easy with Eero Beacon. Simply plug it into a wall and you're covered. You can add as many Eero Beacons as you want. If there's an outlet, there's Wi-Fi. I tried Eero out for myself, and I was particularly impressed with how easy it was to set up. The app is intuitive and sleek, and it walks you through every step of the process. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com, and at checkout, select Overnight Shipping, and then enter Fool to make it free. Thank you, Eero, for your support. All right, guys, let's move on to our second award of the day. And this one is for Rookie of the Year. I kind of want to hop in on this one because I didn't get to pitch one for the last category. Is that all right? You're allowed. Can, can you <laughs> um, explain first what, what the award is about? The Rookie of the Year, this is like you're, you're coming out. You're, you're a you know, fresh new company looking to make a splash. Uh, and the company that I'm going to be pitching for this, it's one that I've talked about plenty on the tech show. I have to give a nod to Roku on this one. <laughs> and everyone, tell, tell us how you feel about Roku. <laughs> everyone, everyone's laughing about this because we, we may have gotten an email <laughs> from a listener saying that we know exactly how you feel about Roku and Snapchat. You can talk about other companies. Uh, I have taken that feedback into consideration and will will incorporate it into my programming plans for the Friday show moving forward. Um, but the reason that I think Roku has had, um, or is a candidate for Rookie of the Year, is a streaming TV player, and they've done something that is pretty incredible as a hardware business. They've made this amazing pivot to creating a decent platform business. So you look at their first results as a publicly traded company. They posted 40% growth 
on the back of their platform business growing 124% year over year and their hardware business being relatively flat. That platform business for them drives 90% of their gross profits. It's going to be far more consistent, way more reliable than a hardware business. You look at a lot of the hardware makers out there, GoPro, Fitbit, one of the struggles that they have is it's very lumpy with product issuances and you're always subject to consumer upgrade cycles. So for Roku, not only really strong results, good growth, and the market reaction has been fantastic, um, but they're building a good long-term business. And it's something that a lot of companies have struggled with that operate in a similar space. Solid pitch, solid pitch. All right, who <laughs> else has a, a rookie, to, rookie to nominate? I'll jump in with mine. Uh, so my rookie of the year, uh, also IP of this year, it's Canada Goose. So this company is one that Austin and I actually covered not too long ago, about a month ago. So fresh for anybody who heard that episode. But this is an apparel company based in Canada. They make high-end outerwear and other apparel. Uh, so they priced their IPO in March at about $12.78. And it has since traded up over 115%. So for shareholders, the, the stock price performance is definitely there. And I understand that that might be a little bit more common, that kind of return for tech, maybe healthcare companies too. But for the consumer retail space, that's pretty good. That is That definitely puts you up there. And I like this company because they have a very well-executed and long-term vision in terms of their retail footprint, both online and with their physical stores. They're focused on fat key kind of fashion hub type cities if you think about places like London, Tokyo, and New York. And over the past three fiscal years, the company has grown its revenue about 37% annually. They've expanded the gross margin over 10 percentage points. And the growth on the top and bottom lines is expected to be in the double digits through 2020. And I think the company is in the the right place right now with a very with a slow but kind of steady approach to its growth. In that you know over 50 years they've managed to develop this prestige that allows them to charge. I remember showing you this Dylan online. They charge a thousand dollars for one of their parkas, for example, and up. So they definitely occupy a high end space in terms of fashion, and it's very difficult to build up that brand cachet, that reputation within not only high fashion circles, but they also outfit technical users, for example, like the U.S. Antarctic program. And so with that, on, with that in mind, you know, so many companies will spend years and years and so much money on their advertising and marketing, trying to build up their brands to this level that Canada Goose has, for example. And even though they might not be successful establishing that, but they're taking that, that reputation and spreading it out s- slowly because we've seen issues with a company like Coach, for example, where they essentially watered down all of that prestige that they developed uh, over many years by expanding too quickly. And they put themselves in this position where they had to discount and their products were available in a lot of places, whereas Canada Goose embraces, for example, having sold out items because it builds up that that demand and that kind of hype around their products. And again, in this space, in a very competitive, uh, difficult a year or two for apparel, you know, Cannon Goose definitely stands out. So it's like the the Birkin bag of coats. There you go. <laughs> All right, I think we have one more pitch for Rookie of the Year. <clears throat> one word: cryptocurrency. Boo! <laughs> 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 now, now, hear me out, because of course, cryptocurrencies have been around for a while, but they only entered the zeitgeist, the central stage. In 2017. So January 1, 2017. Let's go back 12 months. January 1, 2017, Bitcoin is trading at $997.69. And wow, that is a really high price for something that's totally unproven. Fast forward to today, it's over 17 grand. 
and a lot of other cryptocurrencies have begun trading. There are a, have been a ton of ICOs or initial coin offerings that have occurred in 2017, and the CBOE has even begun trading Bitcoin futures. Now, I think that is a strong contender for Rookie of the Year because it's just really entered, finally, uh, central stage here in the U.S. financial system. So I'm a little annoyed that you said cryptocurrency. I thought you were going to go with Bitcoin, and I had this whole metaphor built up <laughs> about how Bitcoin winning Rookie of the Year was like how Bonnie Vare won Best New Artist at the Grammys in 2012, <laughs> five years after his first album came out. Unfortunately, <laughs> you said crypto, and there are so many other currencies that fall into that. But crypto has been along, around even longer than Bitcoin. I, I think Michael should be technically disqualified. I, <laughs> you, pitched, you pitched a company that's 50 years old. Yeah, but they just went public. Yeah, that's that's the, the whole point, point of the I, I, I don't know. I feel like that's uh, kind of skirting the rules a little bit. I well, think it'd be hard to find a company that's less than a year old. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the public issuances here. Otherwise, both of us are disqualified. Yeah. Well, you know that's how right. I know that cryptocurrencies have got popular is because I received a text this morning from my brother who uh, has zero interest in investing, zero interest in money management, and said, do you think it's a good idea if I buy IOTA, was it? Is that a cryptocurrency that's trading right now? It probably is. <laughs> and I, I was just, I, I haven't even responded to him yet because I was so shocked. <laughs> For me, that moment happened. I got an email, not to my work email, but to my personal email, and it was from a scammer style, um, you know, operation. And they said, you know, um, I am this person who's won all of this money and I've decided to give it to all of these random people. Um, I would like to give it to you in the form of Bitcoin. All I need you to do is set up a Bitcoin wallet, send me 0.02 Bitcoin to prove that you're there and verify. And then I will send you your lump sum of Bitcoin. <laughs> and so this person is just trying to get all of these people to send them, you know, fractions and fractions and fractions of Bitcoin. And I was like, you know what? If, if scammers are turning over to this, this is becoming part of the consciousness. Because they wouldn't that, be trying that's to... That's what validated it for you? <laughs> <laughs> Oddly scammers enough. are involved, so it must be... Yeah. You, weren't, you weren't tempted to go for it? I was thinking about it. Because, yeah. you know, Bitcoin was a lot cheaper back then. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas nowadays, that's, that's a chunk of change. Uh, by the way, live fact check, IOTA is... A cryptocurrency. Oh, okay. Well, at least he's he's truthful. <laughs> you get a 50-50 shot there. <laughs> yeah. Google is a wonderful thing. All right. So votes? I'm going to dig my heels in and say it has to be Dylan. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's only one vote, though, I guess. I know. I, I also think Dylan. It, it's very compelling. I, I'm a huge Roku fan, and we spoke about the company. You asked me a lot of questions about my experience using it before you went on the show. And I, too, will vote for Dylan. Well, <laughs> this, is, this is a rare moment for me because I am not very often better than Michael at something. <laughs> well, maybe I just picked the wrong thing to the wrong horse to back. Well, we I'll have, vote for Dylan as well. We have a ton more awards to get to, but we will do them on subsequent shows to be released later this week. We're going to cut off part one of our four part mega show here and we will return tomorrow with the continuation. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear, or cryptocurrencies for that matter. <laughs> this show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Michael Douglas, Vincent Shen, Sarah Priestley, and Dylan Lewis, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!